Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phelps. I got a good show for you this week. March Madness has been fun. First two rounds are in the books. I'm going to be joined in just a bit by Troy Moriello, host of Seeing Red Podcast, our March co-host here on the podcast. We're going to recap the first weekend, all the big headlines, get you ready for the Sweet 16 on Thursday, Elite Eight following that. Also going to be joined in just a bit by... Our resident film critic, Barstool Sports Zone, John Stanka. We're going to preview the Oscars like we did last year. A good dive into the Oscar world as well as some Star Wars stuff. We have a little few side tangents there, but we'll talk about it with John in just a bit. Also, want to mention at the top of the show if you enjoy what you listen to on the Just and the Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon. All the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. There's my episodes there. Because I'll leave your feedback and your starring as well. I make the podcast even better going forward. Again, do that. It means a lot. It makes us the show better for the audience as we go deeper into the 200s here. But you got the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Favors of the chats with Troy and John are up on the YouTube page. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Before we dive into the March Man, I want to go to the opening tip. We'll talk about the NFL free agency headlines of last week, particularly with the locals right after this. Three, two. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. And opening tip time, NFL free agency, and seeing the contract numbers fly when the legal tampering period begins on Monday is always fun because... The money gets handed out to some of these guys is a bit nutty. Take the Jaguars, for example, last week. They gave Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Zay Jones over $115 million. Say what? $115 million bucks are three average to above-average players. That's the problem you run into with free agency because the teams that spend a ton of money there usually get a short-term boost, long-term disaster. We saw a lot of trades, too. Devontae Adams goes to the Raiders. Just prior to pocket scoring, Matt Ryan ends up getting traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Russell Wilson got moved to the Broncos. All that crazy. The locals largely sat out of all the, the nutsness. Start the Giants real quick. The Giants didn't have a ton of money to spend. They did make a pair of key pickups in their own line. They added John Feliciano and Mark Lewinsky to the group. Neither are flashy, but they're going to help improve the floor of this line. That unit was a disaster last year. That's to get a step towards respectability, which they need to do in order to do what they want to do going forward. They also had a capable backup quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. He can start if he's needed to. He can also push Daniel Jones, which you want to see him win that job. Huge look over Mike Glennon because once Daniel Jones got hurt, the Giants could not win a damn thing with Mike Glennon last year. The heavy lifting on the Giants is going to be the draft. They have two top 10 picks. At least one of those you figure is going to be an offensive tackle. They keep building the offensive line. There'll be a lot of heavy work on the draft for the Giants. We'll keep more attention to them there. The Jets have more money to spend, but in the typical Joe Douglas fashion, they not pay the Jet tax to bring Marcus Williams in 
or bring in one of these J.C. Jackson types. They added a ton of depth starter-level guys who raised the floor of the roster. The biggest splash by Lakin Tomlinson at right guard. From a pro Bowl appearance with the 49ers, scheme familiarity will be a big boost to the offensive line. Need help with tight end. They got a pair with C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin. The Jets have not had tight ends since Dustin Keller left about a decade ago. Now they do. D.J. Reed to hear Whitehead from Seattle and Tampa should be starters in the secondary, which is a disaster area. Also give Joe Douglas credit for retaining Braxton Barrios at a good price. Two years, $12 million, seven guaranteed. A fine move for a depth receiver and all-pro returner, so good job there. They had done a good job building up the depth of the roster, raising the floor, but there's still a lot of work to do at receiver and edge rusher. I figure both of those are going to be addressed in the draft. The Jets have four picks in the top 38 to improve their roster, but the way the free agency approaches, it puts a lot of pressure on Joe Douglas to nail that draft. 2021 was great. We've seen the guys who contribute to that. Elijah Barry Tucker could be a stud. Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, the other Michael Carter, they could all be huge players for the Jets. And Zach Wilson hits a franchise altering draft. The 2020 draft, not so much. You have one bona fide locked in star announced as the punter, Braden Mann. Bryce Hall and Mekhi Beckett are competing for their spots. It's not great. So putting yourself in a position where you have to nail the draft is not great. You're hoping it's more 2021 than 2020 if you're a Jet fan. We'll see what happens to them. The last big move here is this Deshaun Watson situation where he sat out all last year after the 22 civil lawsuits over sexual assault allegations with massage therapists. The grand jury in the case did not indict him. After that happened, it felt like the NFL teams started falling all over themselves to get him. We heard the Panthers were making a run at him, the Saints, the Falcons, the Browns. Deshaun Watson said no to the Browns, and they end up getting him because they guarantee him $230 million. I think the way the Brown handles is absolutely terrible. And we heard the leaks about how, oh, you know, we can't win with Baker. We want an adult in the room. Good job bringing the adult that is accused of 22 sexual assaults. Good job, guys. The thing that makes it even more gross is the fact that the way they structure the contract here is that they gave him a $45 million signing bonus. It's going to all be paid this year. They dropped his base salary to just over a million bucks. Why is that important? Because if Deshaun Watson does get suspended by the league for the civil suits, which is certainly possible in the personal conduct policy, the fine money comes out of that million-dollar base salary, not the $45 million signing bonus money. The Browns went out of their way to protect Deshaun Watson's money by the fact he's facing 22 civil sexual assault cases. And as much as people want to say, oh, you know, the grand jury didn't indict him, if you look deeper into that stuff, there is a loophole in the system there where sexual assault victims don't always get the criminal justice they deserve. Rushing a pay to Sean Watson to a $30 million, not a good look to the Browns. Not a good look for the league as a whole, that you have four teams basically in an arms race to get him, despite all the stuff going on in the background. We'll talk more free agency in just a bit, but we're going to dive into the March Madness with Troy Moriello right after this. All right, we are back here talking March Madness on the Justin the Suffering podcast. 
The first weekend's in the books. Join me today, our co-host of the month of Mars, the host of the Seeing Red podcast, Troy Moriello is here. Troy, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well. It's good to have the the madness back and uh, happy to be on for another week. Absolutely. It was certainly very mad, I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, uh, you know, a typical March Madness weekend, I would say, or week and weekend. You know, we got a couple of overtimes. I, I don't think any buzzer beaters, but a couple of last second shots. Uh, and just a bunch of great games. And we have a Cinderella as well. Uh, yeah, you know, it was just a, a classic March Madness weekend. Of course, you know, we had it last season, but it was different with, you know, all the COVID rules in place. So it's good to, you know, have it back to normal for the first time since uh, since 2019. And, you know, like I said, we got the upsets, we got the Cinderella's, we got the close games. Uh, just, just very, very happy to have it all back. Yeah, I think the good point here, you mentioned here with the whole, like, everything back because last year we had a tournament was in the bubble so like there was no it was all Indianapolis and limited fans now you have full fans you have the cheerleaders back you have the bands like all the staples of March and yes we didn't get a buzzer beater but we did get a lot of like fun moments throughout the weekend made it that made it very exciting yeah exactly and even just like individual plays that we're going to see a bunch I mean we saw that the uh the uh Arizona dunk last night the uh, the Auburn dunk from the first weekend. We got the the cheerleader getting the ball out of the out of the uh, the top of the of the backboard. I mean, you know, it's a lot of fun things that uh, I'm sure we're going to be seeing in a couple of weeks when they do one shining moment. But yeah, you know, just overall, very very great to have it back. You know, at different sites, you know, you get the different types of crowds. You got you know Wisconsin playing kind of like a home game uh, on Sunday night and ending up losing that. You know, you go out west, you come over here. It's just it's it's just fun to kind of have it all back to normal. Uh, as we as we've known it really before the past two years yeah absolutely let's get to the big storyline of the week because obviously we knew this going in we knew st peter's would be our big storyline heading into the uh, second weekend right <laughs> yeah absolutely we, we totally planned for this <laughs> yeah yeah i mean st peter's uh, coming out of the mac and it was so funny watching the slide show there i think they were the 618 to have their matchup revealed they were really the last one we saw get picked against <laughs> kentucky they come out there they dominate Kentucky regulation. They they withstand overtime, which you never see when these high seas in the ground for overtime. You figure, oh, you know the the top seas got fine with it, win out. It doesn't happen. They basically go wire to wire win over Murray State. It's another great team. Now they're in the Sweet 16, first Mac school ever to get there. So incredible run. Yeah, and and again, just everything that that this month and this this tournament is is all about. You know, a team like that that absolutely no one was talking about. I mean, I would say probably, you know, 75% of people had Kentucky, um, you know, in the Elite Eight, I would say at least. And a good amount of people had them in the Final Four and even winning the thing, I would say a good number of people. Uh, and they're bouncing the first round by this little school with, what, 3,000 kids that go there uh, in the middle of, of New Jersey and Jersey City. You know, it's just a, it's a great, great story. You know, a little school like that taking down Goliath. And like you mentioned, I mean, just the, the fortitude of that team you know, to play a wire-to-wire game with Kentucky, uh, to not get it done in regulation, to go to overtime, and to still beat them. I mean, like you said, uh, once that game went to overtime, I figured Kentucky was going to win by, you know, 8 to 10 points. They'd pull away at some point. At some point, you kind of figured the talent was going to kind of overwhelm St. Peter's, and it just never did. Uh, that coach, Shaheen Holloway, you could just tell how well-coached they are. Um, you know, you've seen some of his quotes post-game, how tough that team is. And then, like you mentioned, following that up, you know, 48 hours later with a win over Murray State, a team, again, that had won, you know, how many games in a row, uh, and they really dominate that game. I mean, they never look back in that game 
just an incredible story. And, you know, you're curious to see uh, how far it can go for them now. Um, but, you know, just, just everything that March is all about, you have the Cinderella, the 15 C that no one saw coming, you know, there probably wasn't, you know, 10 brackets in America that had St. Peter's in the sweet 16. And now uh, here we are. So just a fantastic story. It's also fun with St. Peter's too, because I mean, like most of the people in the country had no idea who the hell they were. Like you and I are unique inside because we each watched our team play seat like St. Peter's this year. Like I, I actually want to beat them twice. You watched St. John's beat them in the non-conference schedule. And then we know that team is good. I mean, I took the points in this, in the spring against Kentucky. It was 18 and a half. I said, they're going to grind it. They're going to keep it closer. Like, I had no scenario. I think they would win that game. No, no. And, and to your point about, you know, not a whole lot of people knowing about them. I mean, you know, this is a, uh, maybe not a program changing thing for St. Peter's, but you know, you talk about the one shining moment, like this is their programs, one shining moment, you know, 20 years from now, in 2042, we're going to be saying, hey, remember when St. Peter's beat Kentucky and made that run to the Sweet 16? It's something that their school will always have. You know, it's something that can kind of, you know, invigorate a program, you could say, as well. Um, you know, just just very, very cool to see. You know, we're going to be talking about St. Peter's like we talked about uh, uh, George Mason George Mason and Loyola Chicago and uh, UMBC and Florida Gulf Coast. You know, all these like lower seeds that made runs. Uh, it's just something that their program will always have, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I think in terms of like upset stature here, I mean, in terms of pure like spending disparity between them and Kentucky, it's like massive. Like, I mean, we've seen the gym they play in Run Baby Run, which is not, it's like, it looks like a high school gym. It's a nicer one, but it is that size. And I mean, the entire athletic budget for St. Peter's includes all their programs. I think it's about $1.5 million. And that's about like a sixth of John Calipari's salary. So it tells you all you need to know. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's completely David taken down Goliath. And yeah, in terms of, I think it was like the fourth or fifth highest upset by, uh, by point spread as well in the NCAA tournament or top five, certainly. Uh, yeah, it's going to go down as one of the biggest upsets ever. And like you mentioned, you know, to the fact that they did it in overtime, that the fact that they gave up a lead, they led most of that game and they still were able to close it out in overtime, uh, just speaks to the incredible job that Shaheen Holloway has done with, with that team. Yeah, we'll touch back on them in a minute, but I want to go to the other locals here who were not nearly successful as uh, St. Peter's here. I mean, you have Rutgers collapsing against Notre Dame in the first four. They lose in double overtime and a thriller on Wednesday night. UConn gets Teddy Allen out of the tournament by New Mexico State, and then Seton Hall just doesn't show up against TCU. Which of the locals had the worst performance in March? Yeah, it was it was probably uh, Seton Hall, to be honest with you. Just getting run out of the gym by TCU uh, they were down 10, you know, before you could even blink in that game. They were never for a second uh, in that game. I know UConn kind of had the the hopes of, uh, you know, maybe making a run. I thought that they could be a Sweet 16 team for sure. Uh, and it's disappointing that they, they kind of bow out uh, in the first round like that. But but Seton Hall, uh, it was pretty clear that Kevin Willard had his mind elsewhere during that game that, you know, his preparation probably wasn't uh, as focused on TCU as it should have been, you know, with the now the news of him going to Maryland. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's just a disappointing uh, result for them. You know, then that's kind of been a string of, of disappointing results in the NCAA tournament for them. Uh, you know, losing what four out of the five times that they've been there in the first round. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, you know, I mean, you know, we weren't expecting Seton Hall to make this big run, but to just get run out of the gym by TCU, who again, probably proved to be a little bit better than uh, maybe they were seated, you know, going, going down to the wire against Arizona on Sunday night, but still, uh, I don't think TCU was that much better than Seton Hall that that should have been, you know, a 25, 30 point game at some points. So uh, definitely a dis disappointing performance from Kevin Willard. And then of course from Seton Hall. 
Yeah, I know a lot of the Pirate fans right now are very angry at Kevin Willard, especially with the way he left. And I will say, I think some of the slayer is unfair because that program was a disaster when he showed up. When he left Iona in 2010, came over, and now they're NCAA tournament regulars, which you and I know is probably these. That was never a case for Seton Hall. They make a, like one run every five years, and they would never be there. But I would be very upset with the way that, you know, like the way they played, you could basically tell the players knew he was going to leave, and they just didn't mm-hmm. have the, the energy to get up for that game, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Will, Kevin Will does look very weaselly the way he left in terms of in terms of you know like oh I don't know what's going on I got to talk to my agent and basically creating a distraction for for St. Peter saying oh you know I want Shaheen Holloway to take my job if I leave where basically he knows he's leaving and that's not that's not a good look. Exactly. I, I, honestly, I appreciate the honesty with him that that he said you know it's it's up in the air right now that he didn't give some kind of cliche answer or something like that. Um, but you don't do it with a team that's still playing in the tournament. Um, you know, at that point, St. Peter's had a game in less than 24 hours. And like you said, that just creates a distraction for them. Um, you know, if they weren't playing in a tournament and you want to maybe give an endorsement to him, that's fine. But the fact that St. Peter's was still playing, uh, it doesn't really sit right with me, that that brutal honesty from from Willard. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you can't you can't discount what he did for that program. Definitely turn them around. Uh, definitely turn them into a consistent NCAA tournament team. And now if it is Shaheen Holloway's job next year, you know, you got to see if he can kind of build on that because, you know, Willard was very successful in getting them to a top half of the Big East, you know, an occasional, you know, top 25 type season, making, you know, three tournaments every four years, but then not really going anywhere in the tournament. Now, you could say 2020, they might have might have done that. They were a top 15 team for most of that year. Uh, that might have been the year, but still, you know, they did not do it under Willard where they made this, you know, second weekend run. So if it is Shaheen Holloway's job, We'll see if he can uh, can advance their program even further from where Kevin Willard left it. Yeah, I think obviously the Willard thing. I feel like the Seton the, the Saint Pete the Seton Hall fans be very happy with that trade. The end of this, assuming I think we are both agree. We did agree that that job is Seton Hall always to lose at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it seems like it's kind of the the worst kept secret in uh, college basketball right now that he will be replacing Kevin Willard. But you know we we've seen strange things happen. Maybe you know a much bigger job opens and blows him out of the water, but. You know, with him being a Seton Hall alum, uh, it just it makes a lot of sense for him to go there. Yeah, I think they're going to st- take all the headlines because they're in the Willard exit. But I think UConn is going to get a lot more heat long term because that loss in Mexico State was bad. Teddy Allen, they they basically dominated them in that game. Arkansas managed to contain him. UConn couldn't. And then it was a pretty talented team that Dan Hurley now has not managed to win a tournament game at UConn, which is, again, not it's a historically successful program. So you feel the heat to start rising there. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's that's two straight uh, disappointing NCAA tournament exits for UConn uh, after relatively successful seasons in the Big East, you know, regular seasons in the Big East. Um, you know, and, and now both years they drop out. Last year they play a, a really ugly game against Maryland and now this year against New Mexico State. Uh, you know, yeah, UConn is about winning and winning championships, you know, and so far since Hurley's been there, they haven't won a Big East regular season or Big East tournament title, and they have not won an NCAA tournament game, and that's just not going to cut it. Um, I think Hurley is still one of the best coaches in the conference for sure, um, you know, but he's he's got work to do. <laughs> you know, I think that that's, you know, when you're at a school like UConn that's won a couple of national titles in the last 20 years, uh, you know, the expectation is, is, is titles. And when you're back in the Big East and when you have the budget and when you have the players coming in, um, you're expected to do more than a first-round loss to New Mexico state, you know, and, and I think that I, I thought that they could have been a sweet 16 team. Like I said, I picked them to go to the sweet 16. Uh, yeah. So definitely a disappointing exit for them. I would still say they're trending the right direction. 
But, you know, they got to, I would say next year is a real year that they at least have to win a tournament game. Yeah, I mean, given the expectations there, I would not be surprised that they are, you know, one and done again, that we start seeing the push to, like, get rid of him, sort of like what happened with Pitt with Jamie Dixon and with Texas Rick Barnes, where he says, you know, like, oh, like, he's good, but we can't go above this level with him. And for this program, I think they're going to push for more. Yeah, and you know, like like we mentioned, that that, that fan base, they want winners. You yeah. know, uh, if he was my coach at St. John's, we made two straight NCAA tournaments. I'd be fine with that. But you know, UConn is on a different level. You know, they're they're a step up from from some other schools, and those fans they expect championships. And you know, when you're losing in the first round to New Mexico State, you know, a year after losing in the first round to Maryland, um, you know, when you're not advancing very far in the Big East tournament. Uh, fans, you know, get angry. And I've already seen some fans kind of questioning if he's the right guy. So yeah, if they have an early exit next season, you know, kind of in a similar range where they're a five, six seed maybe, and they lose in the first round again, I, I think that those calls for his job are going to start coming up a little bit more than they are right now, even. Yeah. I think one of the things I want to tell you before we go to the big picture more is the officiating of this weekend, which, you know, like I hate to go after the officials because they have a very difficult job. It's obviously dealing with a high pace, fast paced sport, like split second decisions here. But some of these calls this weekend were just unacceptable to me. I mean, you have like the technical foul in the Illinois game where he's hanging on the rim and he's not really hanging on the rim. They called for that. The brainmatic mm-hmm. matic ejection against, against uh, Baylor to almost a near collapse yep. for the Tar Heels. You had the foul sequence at the end of the uh, Arizona game last night where they should have gotten a foul on TCU, had a chance to shoot free throws. They did not call it. You had the, where it looks like they were whistles were completely favoring one team. Like that's a problem. And that's really a turn off people who are casual fans of the sport. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as, as you and I are, you know, our fans that watch this from, you know, November to now uh, we're kind of used to this, this type of officiating, you know, the officiating isn't, isn't great in, in any sport really, but especially in college basketball uh, year round. Yeah. But, you know, as a casual fan, when you're seeing some of these calls like that, it's sure, I'm sure it rubs you the wrong way. And, you know, just as a, as a general note that I picked up um, some of these reviews in these games are, are so long. And oh, I yes. know that that's not necessarily an officials thing. I guess it is, you know, but, but, you know, they're, they're looking at the same three, four replays for, you know, two minutes, three minutes in a game. Uh, you know, the final two minutes of these games has taken 20 minutes of real time because every single tip ball, every single deflection, you know, you got three players going like this, waving their fingers, and then they got to look at the monitor. And, you know, it's just not a very, you know, fun thing to watch as a viewer. Um, you know, th- this isn't my original thought, but I've, of course, I've seen people say, you know, if it needs to be clear and obvious to overturn something, if you're not seeing it within like, like a minute or 90 seconds, just stick with the call on the floor. We don't need these reviews going for, you know, four minutes at a time where the players are just standing there, where the announcers are just, you know, making small talk. And, you know, it, it's just not, not a good watch. So uh, that's another just general thing that I've noticed. So many reviews, especially on out of bounds plays in the final, you know, minute of uh, or two minutes of games. It's, it's too much. Just if, if, if you have a call, either stick with it, or if you have it, obviously that you can overturn it, overturn it. But you know, that, that's just one thing that I really picked up on uh, when you're watching these games in, in succession is the reviews are out of control. Oh, they absolutely are. I mean, I feel like watching these games and you're ready. I'm back to back to back to back on different channels here. And I did notice, mm-hmm. especially like if the game was closed, I feel like you could basically most college games take two hours and regular season. I think you could add a guaranteed half hour at the end of every game because for anything was close. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, like, I know as much as, as good as Gene's territory is at his job, I'm sure, like, the big wigs of CBS are not having their entire prime time on Sunday being pushed back about 40 minutes because <laughs> the end of the Duke-Michigan State game takes forever. 
Yeah, yeah. The end of these games takes far too long, even with the fouling. Uh, I mean, you know, I understand it's the NCAA tournament, but if you're down nine with you know 20 seconds left, the game's over. Let the clock run out. We don't yeah. need to foul four more times. Um, you know, the, the final two minutes of these games, they just take too long. It's not enough action, too much fouling, too many reviews. Um, you know, I hate to complain because it, it was a fantastic weekend. But if there was one big negative, I would say that was it for sure. I also got to call out the, the casual like NBA fans. I was like, oh, college basketball sucks. It takes too long. I'm like, <laughs> fast forward to the NBA playoffs. I got the exact same problem there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. you know, one, one thing that I, I did notice, you know, in, in contrast with the NBA, a lot of these games were starting out and, and there would be you know, 12 minutes left in the first half and the score is, is 10, nine. <laughs> we just yeah, we had a lot of slow starts. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not a great thing to, to watch as a viewer when, you know, for, for 25, 30 minutes of real time, you've seen five baskets made, you know, that's the shot making was not great. Again, you know, you would understand it more on Saturday and Sunday when guys are playing their second game in, in three days. But uh, yes, a lot of these games really started off with, with slow offenses that really surprised me actually. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think the one the one call I remember specifically. I think like the Illinois game. I think the first round game. Like they had a game that was playing in the 40s. Like where the game that was on my channel was like in the 70s, and then the same amount of time. Yeah. Like come on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, listen, I, I like the, the good defense, but no one wants to watch a game in the 40s. You know, let's get into the 60s. Let's get into the 70s. That's that's certainly a more entertaining product. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead here. Do some big picture stuff. Give me your three biggest winners of the first round, first two rounds of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, we we've spent all year uh, uh, ripping on the uh, the ACC, and they get three teams into the into the Sweet Sixteen. How about that? Uh, you know, I think we all kind of figured Duke would, would make it for sure. But um, but you know, North Carolina, big upset over Baylor. That was awesome. Um, you know, and then getting Miami in, which was kind of a team that we didn't we didn't really see coming. <laughs> you know, Miami comes out of nowhere and they knock off Auburn. Um, that was impressive for them. So the ACC, you know, kind of kind of um, you know ripped on all season long, especially by us as kind of a weaker conference. Uh, turns out they actually ended up being you know, pretty solid. So they're my they're my first winner for sure. Um, do you want to do you want to go back and forth or do you yeah, want me? Yeah, to we'll, we'll go back and forth here. I think I'll throw okay, I'll throw another winner out here in general. I'm gonna I'm gonna say also. I mean, besides the besides the ACC besides the AC, which is obviously my number one pick on the board here. I'm going to say the Houston Cougars because this is a team that you and I were sitting in the first round going, oh, like, they're going to get upset. Like, they're not really that good. They find a way to basically dominate UAB, which was a very hot mid-major, and then they crush yeah. Illinois. So I think, yeah. like, the Cougars are a big winner this week. Mm-hmm, definitely, yeah. Yeah, you, uh, Houston, you know, what a job Kelvin Sansman has done there with that program. Um, you know, revitalizing them right back into, into the Sweet 16 after a Final Four this year. So uh, just, just an incredible job there by him. Uh, another winner I got, I'm going to say Purdue, <laughs> you know, um, they, they get by Texas. They play a, a close game with Texas. Uh, obviously they, they cruise in the first round and you look at their path to the final four and it's not that tough. <laughs> you know, they're obviously they're, they're one and they're two seed in that region. We said that region was going to kind of be a little bit of chaos. You look at their path, they get to play St. Peter's, you know, I know that we've, we've been waxing poetic about St. Peter's, but that's still a 15 seed in the, in the uh, sweet 16 and then you possibly get a, the winner of UCLA or North Carolina, which is a four and an eight seed, two teams that you feel like you can beat. So, uh, you know, not only getting through, but the path to the to the final four p- for Purdue is kind of open here. So, you know, obviously they get through Texas, but just looking forward, I have to feel like that's that's a pretty big win for Purdue. Yeah, 
I'm going to say Kansas is also a massive winner. If you talk already about how weak their region was when they started here, since we started the tournament, Auburn is gone. Wisconsin is gone. Iowa is mm-hmm. gone. Probably the three teams that were the biggest threats to beat them all out before the Sweet mm-hmm. 16. I mean, they have a province team next up that they're probably better, way better than. We'll find a way to win on talent alone. And then the other side of that bracket is Miami and Iowa State. If Kansas does not make the Final mm-hmm. Four, it's probably the biggest upset of, of the whole tournament. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. The Kansas is, I mean, we said that before, you know, it looked like they were going to kind of cruise in that, in that region. And now with, uh, with Auburn and Wisconsin out, I mean, I, I just, you know, Providence, I would say, um, you know, has certainly played up to their, uh, or has certainly played, I would say outplayed their expectations, but it's not too tough of a, of a, um, of a path to the final four for them. Uh, in terms of my other winner though, I was actually going to go with Providence, you know, impressive for them to get through to the sweet 16. How about that? Uh, you know, a team that I think a lot of people were questioning the validity of their regular season. They were the Big East regular season champs. Of course, they kind of, you know, maybe play into those those talks a little bit with their Big East tournament performance, getting run out of the gym on Friday night against Creighton. And then they come out and they're in the Sweet 16. Now they had to beat, what, a 13 seed and a 12 seed to get there. But still, I mean, this is a Sweet 16 season. And, you know, we talked about St. Peter's. They will always have that. You know, Providence is not a school that is a consistent, you know, uh, they're they're an NCAA tournament team more, uh, more often than not, but they are not a consistent, you know, nationally ranked team. They are not a consistent Sweet 16 team. They're playing in a second weekend, and that's something that, you know, is, is a great job by them. Ed Cooley's done a fantastic job. They'll always have that. So, you know, to, for a team that has kind of been ripped on all season long, they get through the Sweet 16. Again, they play two t- seeds that are are double-digit seeds, but they're in the Sweet 16 now. Now they get a chance to play against Kansas, so that'll be a fun game. So that's that's another winner for me. Yeah, Providence also, I did have the fun week. I say, oh, yeah, like, nobody respects us. They Nobody pick us to win, which I said, you know what, fair. I was one who had them out in the first round. I'm sure you probably had them out pretty early, too. Yep, yeah, I had them out in first round. I, I, I'm i mad at myself for that one, but, yeah. Had them out first round. <laughs> but the, the thing that bothers me, now they start, they start a trend now where every single higher seed now claims that they are underdogs and nobody's respecting them. Like I heard Paolo Bancaro yesterday for Duke beats Michigan State. Like, oh, you know, like nobody picked us to win. I'm like, really, dude? You're, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, nobody had you losing a 15 seed. I, I can't think of many people have you losing either Davidson or Michigan State in the, in the round 32. Yeah, Duke is never able to play the underdog card. That's just, that's not a thing for them. Yeah, it's not a thing. I think my last winner here. I'm going to stay in that East region. I'm going to say UCLA is a massive, massive, massive winner here because the top two seasons in that region are gone. They had some trouble against Akron in the first round there, but the way they came back and dominated St. Mary's, and St. Mary's is a very good basketball team. I don't give them a match of problems. They crushed mm-hmm. that game. Let the white switch came on. I think if that switch stays on, they can get to the final four of that region very easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very, very big, uh, big weekend for them as well. All right, let's go the other direction here. Who are the biggest losers here? We can go player, we can go conference. What do you What are you saying? Uh, I I just you know wax poetic about uh, Providence, but honestly, the Big East kind of let me down a little bit. Only getting two teams into the Sweet Sixteen. Um, I thought this was really the best year that the conference has had since since realignment, or one of the best years. And you know, you could make a case three of the the most you know six or seven most disappointing first round performances came out of the big East. Uh, we talked about Seton hall getting blown out by TCU. We talked about, um, um, Connecticut losing to New Mexico state. And then of course, Marquette getting, uh, getting run of the gym by, by North Carolina. I mean, those were three really disappointing performances. Of course you had Xavier's as well, you know, playing themselves off the bubble a couple of weeks ago. So, 
my Big East. I, I thought this was the year we'd get more than two teams in the uh, in the Sweet 16. Again, it's Villanova, and then you know maybe one other team, and then kind of everyone else. Uh, I did think Creighton had an impressive weekend, you know, winning over San Diego State, and then really going toe to toe to with Kansas. But as a whole, I really would have liked to see the Big East get three teams in the Sweet 16 this year. So uh, unfortunately, I'm I'm a little upset by that. Do you think if Ryan Kalkbrenner was healthy, they could have won that game? Yeah, I mean, they were right there. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that was a close game in the final couple of minutes. Yeah, and and losing a guy like that, I mean, but it just it just speaks to to the job that uh, that McDermott did this season. You know, losing his point guard Nemhard earlier in the season, they lose Kalkbrenner. Then, I mean, you know, that's two of your starters right there, and you're still wired, you know, down to the wire against you know, number one seed in the second round uh, after making a Sweet 16 and losing the entire roster last year. Um, you know, honestly, you can make a case that Creighton is a, is a winner of this tournament as well, even losing in the second round, you know, just because the future of that program is so bright. Uh, they have a great head coach and, you know, they, they should be very, very proud of the season that they had. Yeah, I think my biggest loser of the weekend, we'll do a couple more at this, the SEC, because we talked coming in here about how, you know, Kentucky can win national championship. Auburn's one of the best teams in the country. Tennessee's one of the hottest teams in the country. They're all out. LSU went out in the first round of Iowa State, which I was disappointed in because I thought they would be better than that. Alabama, Alabama, and they lost to Notre Dame. So they get one team through in the Sweet 16th, Arkansas, which probably get run out of the gym by Gonzaga on Thursday night. <laughs> and they have the same number of teams in the, in the Sweet 16 as the Mac, and that's not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a very disappointing first round for the uh, for the SEC. And I don't like really know if that speaks to their – conference being overrated or anything like that i think they just they just didn't play well in the first round you know it's a disappointing for them for sure um another loser that i have is is wisconsin you know playing um what an hour away from from uh, their campus in uh in milwaukee and they just play a really ugly game <laughs> the other night against iowa state uh you know uh losing that game they, they just couldn't hit a shot in that game uh what was the final score uh 54 49 I mean, you know, 55 points would have won you an NCAA tournament game and you couldn't get to it. That's disappointing. And then, again, you throw in the fact that they were an hour away from home, basically playing in front of a home crowd. Uh, a really, really disappointing result for Wisconsin, who I thought could have made a run. Uh, I didn't pick them to go too far, but I could have seen them, you know, making kind of kind of a, a run with uh, with Johnny Davis, you know, the team that they have. But unfortunately, they fall way, way short of the uh of, of doing anything, you know, and, and making it, having it be at home is just 10 times worse. Yeah. I'm going to build on your Wisconsin loser and just say the whole big Ten's a loser again, because the last two tournaments, they've gotten 18 NCAA tournament bids, nine each year. They've gotten three teams total to the sweet 16. Two, mm -hmm. two of them belong to Michigan, which credit to Michigan because they <laughs> came out of this as 11 C they beat Colorado state and Tennessee to get there. Yeah. Purdue struggled against uh, te Texas. So they guys to get through there, but when you're getting 18 bids into the uh, NCAA tournament on two-year span, you should have more than three teams get this far. And and the odds of them winning a title are pretty slim with the with the pool they have left, unless Purdue gets really hot here. But this is a conference that all we hear about is like, they haven't won a national championship since 2000. You're, starting to see, you're seeing why with how they perform the tournament. Yeah, and it's it's the same story every year with the Big Ten. You know, it's, it's the regular season. It's, you know, are they going to get 10, 11 teams in the NCAA tournament? And then, you know, you look in the second weekend and like we mentioned, there's, there's one, there's two, there's three teams left. It's, 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 it seems like it's a yearly thing now with the big 10 that these teams just don't play well in the NCAAs. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the style of play. I, I, I can't believe that, you know, of the entire big 10, the whole conference is overrated, but you know, you kind of have to start to at least 
think that a little bit with with these NCAA tournament performances last season and now this season. Um, it's it's you know a letdown, and like you mentioned, Purdue is I would say is really the only hope now for them to get a, a national title uh, contender to break that streak because I don't think Michigan uh, has that type of a run left in them. So yeah, certainly a, a letdown from the Big Ten as a whole. Um, in terms of my final loser, I'm going to say Murray State. To be honest with you, you know a chance. You know you've won how many games in a row. Uh, you know, you get the gift of all gifts. They were probably the biggest St. Peter's fans uh, in the world on Friday night uh, when they when St. Peter's takes down Kentucky. You know, you win your game um, um, the, or right after that, you know, you, you move on. And then, you know, to lose to, to St. Peter's. And like we mentioned, in a game that they were never really in, they trailed, you know, by by but they were really at an arm's length that entire game. Um, to fall behind and, and to never really make a fight in that game against St. Peter's, it's a letdown because like we mentioned, you know, these, these programs, when you get that chance at like a one shining moment, when you get that chance at kind of a program defining moment uh, and you let it slip, that that's a letdown. And, and, you know, Murray State was a team that had won so many games coming in. You know, they could have been, again, hey, remember when Murray State made that Sweet 16 in, in 2022? That was awesome. Uh, they let that go, and they, you know, to let it go to a 15 seed when you're kind of gifted that opportunity in the second round, got to be a letdown for them. Yeah, I'm going to throw as the last one the Mountain West because they got four yeah. teams in. They went 0-4. We lost Wyoming mm-hmm. in, the in the first four, and the other three all lost in the first round. And this is a league we've been arguing for respect for. The casual fans never going to respect their say, oh, you know, you get four teams in, none of them can win a game. Like, I get some of them are matchup problems, but still, you got to do better. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly a uh, a letdown for the Mountain West. I mean, what a season for them overall, you know, for that conference to get four teams in the NCAA tournament for what's usually a one or a two-bid league to get four is incredible. Um, they lost some, some tough games in the first round. You know, Colorado State had a lead over Michigan. Um, San Diego State loses in, in overtime against Creighton. Uh, Boise State loses a tough game to Memphis. You know, they, they they played well. You know, they were in these games, just couldn't close them out, though. And like you mentioned, not going to help in terms of getting you, you know, respect, uh, in terms of getting you, you know, maybe bumped up a little bit in that hierarchy. They're still going to be kind of looked at as that mid-major type conference, which is a letdown for them because they really had a great season as a conference. Yeah, they did. And I think in terms of the, the, the Big Ten teams, I'm very, like, one I felt very good calling early is, like, Iowa was getting massively overrated by people heading into the tournament because they got hot. They mm-hmm. won the Big Ten. This is a team for a long time that had not won a quad one game. They kind of flew under the radar as they had greater metrics than North Carolina did. But you can't lose to Richmond. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You, you just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Iowa felt like they got that kind of treatment that the one or two teams gets every year when they win their conference tournament. And maybe that was like the last one that everyone saw or something like that. And everyone kind of picks them to make a run uh, off of that. Yeah, but but no, that that yeah, they you could have seen that coming. They were overseeded for sure, and um, you know, it, it, I, I didn't have them going too far either. I I didn't see a big run out of them, but you know, we see this every year. There seems like there's maybe one or two teams that that win their conference tournament and then lose their first NCAA tournament game. Um, you know, it's it's not a you know, I don't I don't think the conference tournament is is at all really indicative of what's going to happen in the NCAA's. It is that's why it's called madness, right? Like any anything can happen in the NCAA's. I think some coaches would even prefer to lose earlier in the, in their conference tournament to have more rest uh, going into the NCAA. So yeah, that one was was, was uh, you can see it coming. Tennessee's right there, that same group too, where everybody was very high in them. I saw us included after they ran through the SEC tournament. They beat Kentucky. They win the, the thing. They knocked Texas A&M out of the field and. Rick Barnes again, another March letdown. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 exact same story with them. You know, another team that was riding high with the conference tournament title and then uh, loses in, in the second round. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, in conference tournaments, they're not really indicative of what's going to happen in, in a week, which is which is why it's called March Madness. It is why it's called March Madness. Now let's look ahead to the Sweet 16 here. Look at the, we'll start off first with the West region here. I mean, I'm going to get my graph, my big graphic up on the screen here from CBS Sports' page. So we can just look at, the, we'll start on the top with the West and the South because of the ones that are playing on Thursday here. The West, the chalk held. The only reason where it did, yeah, Gonzaga and Arkansas on the first game there, Texas Tech and Duke, after Duke survives, they, they are the 26 run, 26 run to end the game against Michigan State here. These two games, I think it's probably, this is probably the best overall pot of the, of the four that are left. Yeah, yeah, you know, we get we get chalk, and sometimes that's not a bad thing because you know, it leads to two really fun matchups uh, in the Sweet 16, you know, Arkansas and Gonzaga, and then Texas Tech and Duke. And, you know, you're leading to a possible, you know, Duke-Gonzaga, Duke-Arkansas, um, you know, Elite Eight game on Saturday. That's that's a lot of fun. Um, you know, can Texas Tech pay, play spoiler? Can they knock Duke out? Yeah, you know, sometimes the chalk is not a bad thing because it leads to really fun Sweet 16 matchups like we see here. Yeah, I would say probably the best two overall matchups or best combined uh, overall matchups are in the West. Yeah, I think the game I want to see is a Texas Tech-Duke game because Texas Tech did have the massive struggles against Notre Dame where they could not put the ball in the bucket for a while there. But their defense is as good as anybody's in the country. They have 62 points in Montana State, 53 in Notre Dame here. And I want to see Duke showed some guts by coming back against Michigan State and closing out the game like that. Will that carry over? Because you need that kind of performance to be a Texas Tech team that is as rugged on D as they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we'll, we'll see how Duke is able to close out if they fall behind by a couple of points against Texas Tech. It might not be uh, the same story. And yeah, you know, Texas Tech is a, is a really solid defensive team. Uh, that's kind of their their motto, their identity. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Duke is able to combat that with a couple of days to prepare. Yeah, I, I think you are. Are you agree with me that Gonzaga is going to run all over Arkansas? Uh, I, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they, they were tested by Memphis for sure. I, I was surprised by that. Cause I thought they were going to really run Memphis out of the gym and they did not. Um, but I, I could see that, you know, I, I don't, I certainly don't see Arkansas winning that game. I, I think Gonzaga is going to the final four out of this region. Um, but yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if they, if they kind of beat up on Arkansas a little bit. Yeah. Cause Arkansas to try and bully ball you try and, uh, get past you. That works on smaller schools. That's not going to work on Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're not, you know, you're not scoring in the 50s and beating Gonzaga. It's just, it's not going to happen in this round. No, it's not. Let's go across the way to the South region here. We have a very, very interesting game all of a sudden here, considering Arizona has had some issues in the first two games. They get Houston here in this in the one side, and you get Villanova, Michigan on the other side. And I think again in this round, I think the more compelling game is later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a very interesting Arizona Houston game. Arizona, my pick to win the whole thing. Uh, I, I thought that they were, you know, I, I just think that they're the best team in the country, to be honest with you. Um, and Houston, you know, you, you know, we, we mentioned them before. You look up and they're back in a Sweet 16 after a Final Four. I think I saw that they beat their first um, single-digit seed in the NCAA tournament since like the mid-80s uh, when they beat Illinois on, on Sunday. So very, very cool for them. And yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, a Houston team that has not really gotten a lot of publicity all season long, that has kind of flown under the radar all season long. And now here they are as a five seed. You know, if they can take down uh, Arizona, they are into the uh, into the Elite Eight once again. Again, just an incredible, incredible job by Kelvin Sampson. What a job he's done there in, in really completely turning that program around from what they were a couple of years ago before he got there. 
And uh, yeah, in, in the bottom, you know, Michigan Villanova, well, you know, a classic matchup rematch of the, uh, the 2018 national title game, Michigan. I, I think I said it last week, you know, we both said Michigan should have been in the first four. We both couldn't understand why they were an 11 seed. And I said, I'm picking them to win in the first round because I just see them making a run because that's how March goes. And that's uh, exactly what happened. You know, sometimes things make no sense. Sometimes the teams that get kind of overseeded end up making a making a run. And uh, that's exactly what happened here. Props to them again for kind of turning their season around. And they get a, they get a Villanova team that I think should feel pretty confident that they can get by them. Uh, and then I'm, I'm hoping for an Arizona Villanova game in the Elite Eight. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think Villanova is going to get past Michigan. I think Hunter Dixon is obviously a matchup problem. I think they have too much overall talent to overwhelm mm-hmm. the Wolverines here. The Arizona-Houston mm-hmm. game, I, I forgot to mention earlier here, if Arizona lost that game in overtime, we would never have heard the end of how Ben Matherin dunked instead of laying it out to beat the, beat the clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just such bad awareness there. You got to look up and see how much time you got left. Uh, you know, you do a layup game's over there's there's no way that that uh you would not have gotten a layup there uh layup off there in the closing seconds you gotta gotta lay that up there yeah and i do think the other concerning thing for arizona here is that obviously the south regional is is in san antonio so houston's gonna have a big crowd there Mm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah could could be a kind of a you know a home away from home game for for houston uh very intriguing matchup (laughs) you know I, i see arizona getting by but I think Houston will give them some problems for sure. I think it could be very similar to what we saw with uh, their game against TCU. Yeah, so let's go down to the bottom of the bracket here. We're going to we'll start out here in the Midwest. We'll go and basically see your order here. You guys, we talked about this earlier. Kansas-Providence, I don't think this is going to be close. I don't really feel like that the – we saw at the end of the year when Providence played teams of more talent than they are, not shorthanded. They get run off the, the court. I can see the same thing here. I know Kansas plays just six, but their six are really damn good. Yeah, I'll be rooting for Providence. You know, I want to see them make a run here. Um, they're one of the few Big East teams that I actually root for uh, in March because I don't really uh, have too much against them. But I don't, yeah, I see Kansas kind of having their way with them for sure. Like I mentioned, uh, incredible accomplishment for Providence to make it to the Sweet 16, to make it to the second weekend, to be a nationally ranked team for a good portion of the season, to win a Big East regular season title. But I, I see that run ending here. I think Kansas is just far better than them, like you mentioned, from a talent perspective. Um, and, yeah, I see this game being, you know, anywhere from like an 8-10 to 10 point win for Kansas. Yeah, also all the credit in the world to Iowa State going from two wins a year ago to the Sweet 16 here. But considering what game is up against on the other side, there's, there's going to be very, very small audience watching Iowa State-Miami in the other game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably going to be the least-watched game of the, uh, of the entire weekend. Iowa State-Miami, you know, you get two double-digit seeds, probably the, the least uh, – um, you know, interesting game for the entire weekend as well. But like you mentioned, again, Iowa State, two wins to the Sweet 16. Uh, anyone that tells you that, you know, rebuilds take time and that, you know, uh, it takes three, four years to rebuild a program, look at Iowa State. <laughs> you know, it, it does not, if you have the right coach, if you got the right players, you can turn it around just like that in college basketball, especially if you're in a power conference and you have that type of money. Um, it's it's not a, you know, it's it's not a, be all end all thing where you know it's going to take you four years to rebuild the program you can do it very very quickly credit to them uh in that game i i really could see it going either way like we mentioned before i think kansas is going to walk to the final four uh over whoever they end up playing uh if they get by providence yeah i do think also iowa state scored a combined 113 points in two games i got to do a lot better than that if we want to get out of this region 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not going to win too many. Again, eventually you're going to catch a team that's going to you know, have a hot shooting night or something like that. You're not going to go all the way to the Final Four winning games in the 50, 50s. I just don't see that happening. All right, now our other, our last reason, East out in Philly here. We hit, This is the chaos region where we lost our one and our two here. We have St. Peter's, our Cinderella story, now gets a much closer game. They got a big, I guess, I think you get the whole student body there on Saturday, on Friday night against uh, Saint, against Purdue in, in their game. I think that one, I think the thing I worry about with them is that Purdue, the size advantage is just such a big deal. I mean, Kentucky really had just Oscar Shibwe as a big deal, but I don't know how St. Peter's is going to slow down both Trevion Williams and Zach Eady. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they went in as, as big underdogs against, against Kentucky last week and they were able to pull it off, but uh, does lightning strike twice? I don't know. Uh, I think the clock probably strikes midnight on them here. Um, you know, we, we saw a lot of chaos in this region though. And uh, honestly it was good chaos because it ended up with two very, very interesting matchups in, in this round for sure. And like you mentioned, starting with, with uh, this St. Peter's and Purdue game. Uh, I think Purdue gets by, unfortunately. I think that it, I would think that it ends for St. Peter's, but uh, again, an incredible run for them. Uh, but I think Purdue has a pretty clear path here to the, uh, to the final four, starting with this game against St. Peter's. Yeah. I think also St. Peter's did the like, Yeoman's work for the Mac here because the Mac as a conference had never got a team to the Sweet 16 before this year. And I mean, we see Iona get there a bunch of times. They couldn't really win a game. We see Manhattan win a game in the past and not be able to follow it up. And you know, like how it works are the teams that advance get these tournament units for their conferences. And this is a lot of money that the Pierce is bringing into the MAC, which is coming. It's going to have a little turmoil right now because Monmouth is leaving. There's rumors that Fairfield could be seeking the exits and Sienna could be seeking the exits. So, like, this is an interesting. This is a good spot for the league to be able to have the extra cash and help some of these programs out. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, like I mentioned before with, you know, how that's kind of a, a school changing uh, run for them, you know, they're going to have a lot of new admissions, I'm sure they're going to make a lot of money off of this because it's basically free advertising for your school. And yeah, the conference should do well as well or, or uh, have, have a lot of help as well with this run. You know, when you've never had one of these before, it, it shines a little bit of a light on your conference. Um, yeah, so so very, very good for the Mac to have a team finally make it to the Sweet 16 and uh, hopefully helps, you know, kind of ease some of the troubles that they've been having recently. Yeah, and the uh, the last game of this round here, North, UCLA, North Carolina, the blue blood matchup of all blue blood matchups here between two, the two of the most successful programs in college basketball. And I know CBS is thrilled they got it. It's the, the late game on Friday night. And I think it's a lot of fun. For me, the thing I'd be worried about is just like, the North Carolina collapse. I know they didn't have Manic, and I know that they had some foul trouble there. Lost their point guard to foul situation early in that in that rate comeback from the Bears. But I like UCLA in this matchup. Yeah, yeah, I think UCLA gets by as well. Um, you know, it's it's the true main event of the first two nights. You know, you talk about some of these games, and there are some really really good games, but. Nothing beats two blue bloods uh, going at it in the second weekend game. North Carolina, U, uh, UCLA. Uh, I've been high on UCLA all season long. Um, I, I just I think that they're poised to make another deep run, and I think that we're going to see it here. Like you mentioned, North Carolina, they were able to hold off Baylor. Um, it was an impressive job by them to do so. You know, to win that game in time after collapsing like they did in the final ten minutes. Uh, but I do think that their run ends here, and I think it's going to be a UCLA and Purdue Elite Eight uh, in that region. All right, so let's start set out the Final Four here. Tell me who you had in there 
originally and who you have now in the final four. So I actually have not lost any of my, my final four teams, believe it or not. Um, I had, I had Purdue come out of the East and they are, they are still alive. I have Kansas out of the Midwest and they, they look pretty good so far. Um, in the South, I had Arizona who's still alive and, and looks decent. And I have Gonzaga actually. So I'm actually still alive with all four of my final four teams. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of myself for the first time in a while. I've, I've actually gone into the second weekend with, with my final four intact. So yeah. I'm, I'm happy about that. Are you gonna, Do you feel good about your pick? Would you stick with that if you're given the choice to restart, or would you take somebody out? Um, I would definitely stick with with Gonzaga and, and Arizona. I do think that they will get through their respective regions as the one seed, and I'm going to stick with Kansas as well, actually thinking about it. Um, it's a toss-up with me between UCLA and Purdue. I could go either way. I, I've loved both of those programs. I wish they weren't in the same region. I would have picked them both to go to the Final Four. I love both of them all season long. Um, so I could really go either way with those, but the three, one seeds, I, I, I think we're going to see three, one seeds, uh, at least in the world. We won't, yeah, we won't see four. I think we're going to th- see three, one seeds in the final four. Yeah. I think what I'm looking at right now here. I mean, I got, I originally had Gonzaga and Kansas there. I had, I get burned by the SEC. I had Kentucky getting there out of the South and I had Tennessee actually in the championship game. I was very high on them. So they burned me. So. I think I would stick with Gonzaga out, out West. I think the Memphis game was a good like, tune-up for them to sort of get that habit of winning a big spot here. Kansas is not losing in the in the South, in the, in the Midwest. They are not. I'm sorry. Nobody in that region is challenging them unless, like, the entire Kansas team gets hurt in a game. So, yeah. <laughs> I think in the East, I originally had – I mean, the East, I originally had Kentucky. I had UCLA in the Elite Eight, though. I did have Barrett going on. I think I will go with the Bruins there. I do feel like Purdue's lack of defense is going to show up and bite them at the worst possible time. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I think in the and the South is tricky because Arizona scared me with the way they play against TCU because that game should not have been as close as it was. So I am tempted very heavily to pick Villanova to get to the final mm-hmm. four, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stick with Arizona very reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Villanova. Um, you know, I, I think I said a few weeks ago. I, I think that they have potential for the final four depending on the matchups. And, you know, you look at the way that the matchups has broke for them. They get an 11 seed in the Sweet 16. So they could be one win away. Uh, I don't think that they're they're going to match up uh, too great with Arizona, but that would be a fun, fun game if we got to see it. So, um, you know, I, I could see Villanova coming out of that region uh, over Arizona, but I'm going to stick with Arizona. I think the sleeper in this whole scenario here, I think it's Houston's a sleeper here. I think if Houston has a good shot to get by Arizona, they're going to they're gonna get to the Final Four again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Houston is that one team. Again, they've, they've just been under the radar all season long. No one has really been talking about them. Could we see them, you know, make it a little bit of a run? Last year, they make that Final Four run. They didn't have to beat any uh, single-digit seeds. You know, this season, they might have to go through a one and a two seed to get there. Uh, so that'll be very, very interesting to see if uh, if Houston could pull it off. But I agree with you. Yeah, if they are that one team that's going to kind of sneak into the Final Four, I would say it's them. Absolutely. Troy, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow on social media, keep up with some of the stuff you're doing at the Seeing Red podcast. Mike, always a pleasure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Troy Moriello. Yeah, I do the Seeing Red podcast. We uh, we cover St. John's basketball. We're in off-season mode. Uh, a, lot, a lot of stuff going on with, with them. So if you're a fan of the Red Storm, check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, we saw the big news that Mike Aaron did not end up going to Tulsa. He decided to stay, stay there at the Tulsa Network to pay the buyout, which I think makes sense. I know. Big year for them next year. They got to get more out of the portal and schedule better. Yeah, yeah. It's a make-or-break year for them. <laughs> you know, if, if Anderson cannot 
make the NCAAs in, in year four. Uh, I think that the calls for his job are really going to be be pretty loud at that point, and they might have to make a decision. Uh, I think that's why a lot of fans, including myself, were kind of hoping that that decision would just be made for them, and he would go to to Tulsa that they so they can kind of speed up that process. But we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's always fun. Uh, the off season is always fun with St. John, so definitely a lot to talk about with them. Yeah, and one guy I'm curious about, considering you're very you're very tapped in here with the program, you pay close attention to them. I feel like for me, from what I've seen this year, I feel like Paz is definitely going to transfer out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've heard that he really likes uh, Anderson. You know, I, I've heard that I haven't heard anything about him uh, considering it just yet. But yeah, it seems like every single offseason, St. John's gets at least one or two guys that it really doesn't make sense for them to transfer to transfer. So I wouldn't really rule anything out with them. Uh, I guess the only thing that you could say is for sure is that Julian Champagny is going to the draft. Uh, I don't see any way that he comes back. But uh, yeah, nothing would surprise me. You know, that that system is kind of fits him so well, the style of player that he is and the style of play that they play. Um, but yeah, it would nothing, no offseason room, uh, rumors or things, bad things happening to St. John's ever surprise me. So if he transfers out, I would not be shocked. Absolutely, Troy. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. We are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. March Madness in full swing, but we are taking a break here from the tournament to get ready for the Oscars on Sunday night. And joining me today, our resident film critic on the podcast, Barstool Sports Zone, John Stanko. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. We are recording ahead of the tournament, so when we're speaking in the past, I'm hoping that my bracket is not completely busted by the time I'm talking to you. No, I'm sure it'll be fine. I think we were talking a little bit before the pod. It's kind of a wide open tournament. Um, and I think there's maybe only one or two teams that we think for sure going to the final four. Otherwise, it's an absolute crapshoot. So, I mean, just hope for entertainment value at this point. Absolutely. And I think the last time we were on the podcast, I think, was back at the year-end pop culture party. So I want to get your take on two Star Wars things. You're a big Star Wars guy. Number mm-hmm. one, Book of Boba Fett. I you the Sky Guys and I are not we're not super high on that show. I'm guessing you're probably a little lower than we were. Yeah, it wasn't very good. I think the two uh, episodes that featured the Mandalorian were good. Uh, <laughs> shocking development there because the Mandalorian is what people thought Boba Fett would be, but it's just they put him in a different body. Um, I yeah, not a great show. Every episode that Robert Rodriguez directed was not good. Like <laughs> I did not enjoy the finale. There were so many different plot holes and just things that were wrong that the sizing of the Ragnarok and different aspects of the fight was insane and didn't like all that. Um, just very, very uneven show, which had some great high moments, but they all featured the Mandalorian. Um and some very, very low moments, including the Power Rangers. So there's <laughs> not a lot of positive things in that show. I'll remember a few little bits and pieces, but let's just say I'm not uh, holding my breath for season two. So what'd you think of the spin move in the finale? I mean, I I wish they all died. It was a perfect (laughs) excuse to kill them. Raise raise some stakes, put them in actual danger, kill off this biker gang where you could actually say the main characters are in danger because their friends are dying. And also you make the fans happy because nobody likes them. Now, granted, there's no way they can know the fans revolt against them as bad as they did when they're making the show. 
but they were the biggest swing and a miss by far. Nobody liked them. Like I didn't, not one person I talked to had a positive remark to say about them. Yeah, I think we, I think we called them the Cyberpunk Power Rangers on our podcast. That was the term we came up with. It's crazy. Like I said Power Rangers when I watched it and then I go on social media and everyone's saying Power Rangers. Like it was a thing that everyone agreed upon. They're just in the wrong show. Yeah. Yeah, we have said literally that now that that Boba Fett became Zoran because he works, he hired teenagers with attitude. Yeah, it's just it was not good at all. It it was it was disappointing. I mean, it was fine. It's Star Wars. I'm gonna watch it. It's slop, right? Um, but I'm not gonna go back and rewatch any episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Like, not at all. If there's any relevant parts, they're revolving around the Mandalorian, which they'll show in the uh, Mandalorian like previews before the episode. So I'll just see the bits and pieces I need to. Yeah, other one here that came out last, I think last week on the day recorded, the Obi-Wan trail. Your take on that? Got me excited. Won't lie to you. Um, the Grand Inquisitor and all that stuff, really cool. The trailer was very well constructed to hit you in all the nostalgia buttons as possible. Uh, the Duel of Fates music, I don't know if that was really necessary. I don't think of Obi-Wan when I think of Duel of Fates. I think of Qui-Gon Jinn or Darth Maul. So that one didn't land for me as much as the other people who... I mean, you hear the music and get excited, but I was like, this is Obi-Wan. A little weird for me, but um, love the motif of the idea of a hope, right? Because Obi-Wan is the only hope. Hope is reborn, whatever. Hope kindles. I do like that theme that they're going with there, kind of keeping the strands between this show and the new hope, which which would be the story following it. So I'm just very excited for that show. I like that it's a short miniseries. They're not messing around with the possible season two it's this this is the confined story they also didn't show vader they only we only heard his breath so they know what the audience wants so very well constructed trailer very excited for when it comes out yeah i'm very excited to see rupert friend playing the grand inquisitor that was a big homeland guy he played peter quinn on homeland i think he's gonna be phenomenal in the in the role and i don't know if you heard but apparently like that show went through a massive rewrite apparently it was a darker script and they I think on day of recording, Holly reported put a story out that apparently like Darth Maul was supposed to rep- be brought back in live action in this show. And then they scrapped it. They said, you know what? The story is going to get too similar to Mandalorian where we're having, oh, we want to try to protect Luke. So they rewrote the story and brought the Inquisitors and Vader in instead. I actually kind of like that, to be honest with you. Darth Maul got a lot of show, a lot of time in the Clone Wars, and he was great. I know he's a lot in Rebels as well. There's a big fight with Obi-Wan in Rebels, which I've seen. I haven't seen the entire series, but I've seen that fight. Um, so I'm kind of happy they're not bringing Darth Maul back in live action. Uh, let him live because he ended his legacy really well with those two animated shows and people remember his character fondly. Yeah. I think there's a place for Darth Maul in the star Wars live action universe. I don't think this is the spot for it. I think there's other shows that fit fit him better. I would agree. I would agree with you. All right. Let's get to the reason you're here, which is the Oscars here. And give me some general thoughts on nominations. It came out a couple of weeks ago. I've been doing some homework. I've been watching a lot of the movies. You watch a lot as well. So I feel like we cover a pretty good base of the movies. Yeah, I, my first thought was when I get when you get the nominations is holy crap, I'm running out of time to see all these things. Um, I've seen I've seen quite a bit. I'm happy with where I am with two weeks to go. It'll be a little bit of a push to the finish, um, but just it's a great opportunity to kind of get the tunnel vision of what movies that you should see when you make time and when you have time to focus on them. So that was my first thought is great. Now I just know what I need to watch. Second thought was. Very excited because my two favorite movies from this year, in my opinion, the two best movies from this year in terms of both um, enjoyment, but also in terms of craft, were Power of the Dog and Dune. And they were number one and number two in nomination. So it was very happy to see that. Um, 
And then my kind of uh, my two other thoughts were this year, I made a focus on seeing more short documentaries. And I've seen, I think, almost all the nominees, uh, four out of the five. And I see many of the contenders. So I'm happy with myself for that. And my other one, Mike, we've been talking about this back and forth. We've been talking about what movies we've seen. And you've done a better job than I have. You've seen more of the best pictures than I have at this, at this point. But get all the nominations in one place. Yes. And get them all for one cost. Put them on the Criterion channel for a subscription. You pay $100, but you get to see all the nominees. I would buy that in two seconds. I am very tired of going back and forth streaming services, borrowing passwords, renting for $20. I can't do that. I can't bring myself to rent a movie for $20. So that's my other gripe is just get all the nominations in one central point. Because one of the biggest gripes with the Oscars, Mike, if they're going to talk about it leading up to it, is not everyone has seen these movies. But if you put them all in one place for one cost, guess what? More people may watch them. So those are my four biggest takeaways. Oh, I'm right there with you on the last one. I mean, I've I mean I've seen nine of the ten at this point of the best picture now. The only one I did not get to was Licorice Pizza because I can't find that anywhere on a streamer right now. And like it's impossible. I'm not paying twenty dollars to rent Licorice Pizza. I happen to have a free yeah. rent- free rental. It's on nuts. Bel- yeah, Belfast's not really streaming either. I happen to have a free rental from FiOS on that, so I got that one in. But I mean, between that, I saw HBO Max for a couple of them. I saw mm-hmm. Netflix for a couple of them. Hulu for a couple of them. Apple Plus. I mean. It's just too many. It's just too spread out. Yeah, just I mean, this is one of those things where if they're nominated, I wish that the streaming services and their rights would just agree to put them all in one place so everyone could watch them. Put your mark in front of it saying this is also streaming on HBO Max. So you get your your advertising, if you will, if you want people to be driven to your website. But just as a movie watcher, I, I don't like needing to bounce back and forth and need to spend money and all this stuff. Put them all in one centralized location. Yeah, and I want to talk about the snubs here, too. I think you and I are in clear agreement here. Like, how the hell did Denny Villeneuve not get nominated for Best Director when he went, Doom got Best Picture nomination and was basically nominated in every single technical category, which he oversees. How does he not get that? I mean, this is the biggest, this is really the only snub I had. I mean, when I saw this topic you put on, I was like, listen, this is the only thing that really matters. He, for me, wins Best Director, hands down. Like you said, he oversaw all the technical achievements of this movie, which it should sweep in terms of sound and special effects and stuff like that. Also, to adapt this book into a coherent two-and-a-half-hour movie that's also entertaining but still continues the story, Villeneuve did so much with Dune. The fact he's not recognized is absolutely insane. Um, we we agree. That's by far the biggest note. Yeah, I couldn't – I could not understand it when I saw the list. And I've seen most of the movies on the list. It's like, for me, I'm trying to look at the current – like, the direct, best director category to try and see who's there. But, like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out who I would take out. Because, I again, Licorice Pizza is easy. I haven't seen it. But I don't know if, like, that's fair, that director. So, yeah. I mean, looking at it, Kenneth Branagh's in every single nomination. Uh, Rasuki Hamugachi, Hamugachi, sorry for Drive My Car. I'm mispronouncing that. I'm sorry. Didn't have time to look up yeah. pronunciations. But I love Drive My Car. I don't have a problem with him being there. He wouldn't necessarily be in mine from, what, from the movies I've seen. But it's very, very good. Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's in it for a lot of people. Jane Champion, I think she might win it for Power of the Dog because that movie is incredible. The one I would take out is Steven Spielberg. And now, granted, I'm waiting to watch West Side Story with my girlfriend, so my hands are up. Like, I have not seen it yet. I'm seeing it before the Oscars. It's going to happen. But, Mike, this is a movie that's being remade. Spielberg has something to work off of. Like, he has a groundwork that he could base his vision off of, and he knows how to be different than the original where people will be looking for it. Right. Like people are going to be comparing the two. So he knows that he needs to make a difference amount. These other people are creating something brand new out of something else. 
And it's not like if Denis Villeneuve was nominated for Dune and the fact that I was made a motion picture before, West Side Story is considered one of the best movies of all time. And that's what Steven Spielberg is basing his off of, right? His reaction. The first Dune was terrible and nobody liked it. It was a disaster. So so Denis Villeneuve wouldn't even use anything for inspiration from that movie, theoretically. He would want to create something all his own. So if I had to pick, it'd be Spielberg just because he's basing it off another movie that happened before. Now, granted, I've not seen it yet. It may change my mind at the time of this recording, but that would be my opinion. Yeah, I think in terms of movies I've seen too. I think in terms of this one, I do like. I know you. I don't know if you've seen Don't Look Up yet. Like, I don't. I feel like I like the fact they got the nomination because I feel like it literally was just Oscar bait with all the stars in there being a satire mm-hmm. on global warming and all the uh, ecological disasters they could be facing here. But I feel like there are other movies you could have put in there instead of that one. Yeah, like for me, Tragedy Macbeth should have been in Best Picture. That movie is the second most visually stunning movie this year, and you could argue it's number one. It could be better than Dune in terms of the visual storytelling in that movie, the production design, the cinematography, the directing by Joel Cohen. I would put him, he's in my personal Oscar nominations for Best Director. That whole movie was remarkably crafted, beautiful. You could tell that story without any dialogue, and you'd be able to know exactly what's happening. And so for me, that one also, Joel Cohen should have been in Best Director and Macbeth should have been in the Best Picture Race. Yeah, I also, I know I'm a little biased here because I think from what I, I saw, I think I think Tick, Tick, Boom also should have got a little more love than it did. I, my opinions on that movie have dwindled down a little bit. I still think Andrew Garfield is great, but I've seen clips of how the editing isn't great during the movie, just scrolling TikTok, because my TikTok is all movies and cats, thanks to my <laughs> girlfriend. Um, but it's just little bits of the editing that are a little sticky, a little bit of the storytelling and stuff like that. So in that, in my estimation of that as like a crafted movie, I think it's fallen a little bit, though granted, I was still very entertained and very moved by it. So as an emotional adventure, sure, sure, it's up there. But as a critiquing just like the editing and the directing, not as enthused as I was when I first saw it. Kind of a little bit of a captive, captive of the moment when the first time I saw it. Yeah, and I think in terms of your TikToking with the with the movies and the cats, you, they ever converge and you get twenty nineteen cats uh, TikToks on your on your uh, screen. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that doesn't <laughs> happen at all. I don't want to see any any of that stuff. No, uh, no, 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 no. Unless it's Taylor Swift as the cat, you know, I'll be okay with that. That's the only uh, caveat I'd make. Yeah, and the other big headline here is obviously they made a controversial decision a few weeks ago to pre-tape some of the technical categories just to try and streamline the show. I'm not a fan of it because I'm like, you know what? It's one night a year. These people worked hard to get the nominations. Like they should be able to have their speech be like live. And you know what? Like, you know, you're getting in for a long ceremony at the Oscars. Like this is not saving you that much time. I I agree with you. Um, For me also, I love the technical side. I would be more intrigued in watching the technical side and the kind of behind the scenes and the speeches revolving around that. Everyone wants to see the big awards, right? Those are where the stars are. But for the movie lovers, they also want to see the technical stuff. Why, Mike, why don't they live stream it like the first two hours where you're giving away the technical awards? Why don't they put it on ABC YouTube Live, just do the whole entire show, maybe a few less cameras, a few less graphics, but then just, it's like a WWE WrestleMania where you have the pre-show, it's live for everyone, and then come 8 o'clock, come prime time, you direct everyone to go to ABC on their local television or wherever, smart TV, and then you go to see the, see the big show. Why not do that? Why not have people be able to watch the full five-hour show if they want? Why not? Why cut it down to three and not give people their shine? Yeah, I agree with that. I feel bad for these people. Let's go now to some of the 
minor category. Some of the, let's start technical. I know you're very big on the technical. So tell me which technical category you're excited about. The production design category is loaded, Mike Phillips. Loaded. You have Dune, which we've talked about already, the cinematic masterpiece, Nightmare Alley, which has a totally unique feel, really remarkable, especially the carnival settings. Power of the Dog has no wasted shots in it. Sure, there's not a lot of different sets, if you will, but all the sets are very purposeful. And you have Tragedy of Macbeth, which is absolutely remarkable in this visual storytelling. And for me, it's 1A, 1B between that and Dune. And then everything I've heard about West Side Story um, is, is worthy of recognition as well. And it basically, if it's anything like the original, it deserves it as well in terms of staging all the different set pieces. So that category is loaded beyond belief. Like that, that's the biggest takeaway for me in terms of the technical categories. As somebody who's seen West Side Story, I would, I would say those reports are accurate. The staging on that, on that movie is very well done. Yeah. I mean that, that for me is the biggest takeaway forever. Um, And, but for me personally, like in that category, if Dune doesn't win, we riot because Dune is the (laughs) best, Dune is the best combination of CGI and practical effects since for me, Lord of the Rings, like that whole trilogy was the perfect blend of it. Uh, Peter Jackson kind of lost that magic with the Hobbit trilogy. Dune was another example of how you can make it work and how you can make it seem seamless where you don't know what's real and you don't know what's not. I mean, they, they freaking made sand interesting. Like who, who gives a crap what spice looks like when you watch Dune and you're captivated by it, you're memorized, you're mesmerized. So uh, I love this category. Um, so this is the one that stands out for me. I will also say Dune spice greater than Star Wars spice. Oh my God, absolutely. I <laughs> forgot about that from the Book of Boba Fett. That's right. Also, can we talk about Book of Boba Fett? Cobb Vanth just being in two episodes and gone and dead? Like, what What was that? Or no, not Cobb Vanth. Uh, uh, Bane. Sorry, Bane. Cad Bane. Oh, we he's hate- in two episodes and he's just gone. Yeah. We, what, what is that? Oh, we hated that so much. Like, Yeah, that is ridiculous. His entrance was dope. Yes. Loved it. Big fan. But then he's just gone? Now, granted, he's possible to come back because they didn't show him lying dead on the ground and the different cuts and all that stuff. Like, He's definitely possibly still alive, but like that was ridiculous with the book of Boba Fett. You're getting rid of the arguably the best secondary character from the Clone Wars, and you're gonna get rid of him like that with an underwhelming Boba Fett show. Ugh. Yeah, and for me, like the problem, I well, stick. I'll go on the Boba Fett rabbit hole for one more second here. Just think that the problem with that show also is that they went through so many villains, and most of them sucked. I mean, you had the mayor's assistant, you had the mayor, you had the twins, you had the Pikes, sure. and then he shows up in episode six, and finally like man, we hate this guy. This is awesome. He's great. And then he's dead about an episode and a half later. Yeah, it was, that was incredibly disappointing. Uh, I wish he was in the Banta tank at the end, you know, getting healed. I didn't want Cobb Vanth back. He's fine. He was a great little bit character. He died. We felt for him. We didn't want him to die. The stakes bring back the bad guy. Yeah. (sighs) He still could because I mean, there are theories on the internet, but you saw that little red button beeping on his suit and he, and in bad batch, he does have a, remote a droid that works for him you could just have the droid like come pick him up and then we could see him show up in another show i would love i would love for that to happen that would make me happy yeah now let's go to i think probably the oscar movie that i think most of the country has probably seen at this point which is in contact that's a great point this is the movie the most of the uh, country has actually seen here and it's the top i think the front runner in the anime film category do you think given the buzz it's had you think it's the lock for best anime film I think it's the favorite. I don't think it's a lock lock. Um, the reason I say that is there's another movie nominated called Flea, which is nominated for both best animated feature and best documentary. So 
The fact of the matter is, best documentary seems to be a lock with the Summer of Soul. But if they want to give Flea the recognition for being awarded in two different categories, never happened before between animated and documentary, maybe they'll give it the animated award. Um, do I think it's going to happen? No. I think Encanto is probably like a 70-30 favorite to win it. But I wouldn't be like utterly, totally shocked if Flea took home this award. Um, and I think we should mention Mitchell's, uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. Cause a lot of people like that movie, but it came out very early in 2021. So many people forgot about it, but that was also very well respected when it came out. But I would, if you were laying money down on the Oscars, you probably have to lay down a bit of the odds, but in Kanto, you put some money down, you win some money back most likely. Yeah. It's funny because I remember I saw, I know Luca's in that category too, also from Disney and like, mm-hmm. and Kanto is blew out of the water. Yeah, I mean, Luca, there was no lasting impact whatsoever. And while I think uh, Ryan the Last Dragon, I believe, is the other Disney Plus movie, that was well-received, more so than Luca, I think, in terms of, like, an entertainment standpoint and kids re-watching it. But Encanto, I think Encanto might be more of a lock to win Best Original Song than it is to win Best Animated Feature, if you were to absolutely put a lock, Stone Cold Lock on it in one of the categories. Yeah, if it wins Best Original Song, then Lin-Manuel Miranda will get will complete the EGOT. He will complete the EGOT. Yes, he will. And we will see more of him, which, depending on your opinion, is good <laughs> or bad. I'm sensing you're leaning towards the bad. He, I like it better when he is behind the camera and not in front of it. Let's just say that. I enjoyed Encanto the movie quite a bit with his music and stuff. But when he's in a movie, or maybe when he's directing it, it's not It's not as strong. Yeah, I think they have a, that one is a good shot to win the uh, best original song. Although I think... Uh, Billy Eilish, No Time to Die, also is a, is a good good contender in that category. Really, I think I I don't think this Billy Eilish song has a lot of headwind behind it because it came out so much before the movie ended up coming out because the movie kept on getting delayed and delayed, but the song came out months before it. Yeah, it's had a lot of time to like sit, sit with the artist as possible too. That maybe like Encanto just Willie's whapped it in the last like couple of months. Yeah, I mean, also, I believe Billie Eilish had a song that was, had a, sorry, a movie, a documentary that was on, like, the shortlist for best documentary feature. Like, the shortlist, like, just when they released the top 30 movies that can be considered. So, again, she was in that awards talk early on, not just for her song, but also for her documentary. So, maybe that gives her a leg up as well. Yeah, maybe. So, let's go with best adapted screenplay. What do you think about that? Best adaptive screenplay rolling along here. This is probably the toughest category for me as I have this written down in my notes. Uh, For me, this is the hardest pick between Power of the Dog and Dune, my two favorite movies of the year. How about that? Dune, I read the book, so I know what Denis Villeneuve did and his writing staff did in uh, taking down all the exposition that's in the book and making it concise and entertaining and weaving it into the story so that if you never read the book, you would never even notice that you're being fed this information. Now, Power of the Dog, the story fascinated me. The ending left me aghast. I was stunned to silence, and it was done so perfectly and beautifully. And there is more told in the subtlety of Power of the Dog than any other movie I've seen this year. So with that being said, I am picking Power of the Dog to win Best Adaptive Screenplay for me over Dune. And that, it comes with a heavy, heavy heart. But I, this is for me the toughest category, and it's between these two heavyweights. Yeah, I could see that's going to be a big challenge. Best original screenplay. I know you told me off the air you have not seen many of these, so I will weigh in here. I feel like that a certain number of nominations that Belfast has, and this is going to be where they reward. I feel like this is going to give it to this one because I don't think they're going to win a a couple of the other categories they're in. 
Yeah, I mean, it's also a very personal story, right? This Kenneth Branagh, this is told from like his family, his heart. So they always like to award that little sentimentality. So I would not be surprised about that at all. If don't look up guesses, I will riot because I really not a fan of that movie. (laughs) Yeah, that movie is very, very polarizing. Now, if we're talking about pulling the heartstrings, right, which Belfast does, you have King Richard in there and you are more of a fan of King Richard than I am. So do you think that is any chance with the star power behind that movie, the Williams sisters are going to be there at the Oscars? Do they want to give the entire screenplay the, the the win to make sure they get everyone up on the stage and they can have that moment? I don't think they care about that. I think they're going to be there. I think Will Smith's going to be there. I think that, that's I think that's where it's going to happen. We'll we'll talk about Will Smith in a bit. Yeah, I think I think there's, it's going to be the Kenneth Branagh awards. So give it to him for for because I mean the screenplay was very good. I will give him that. Yeah, I mean again, I've only heard great things about the movie and I'm watching it eventually and. I, it's beautifully shot, and I've heard the story is the most memorable part. It'll leave you in, in a puddle of tears. So I'm all for that. I'll pack my tissues. Uh, absolutely will. And next up here, best supporting actor. Uh, so, I mean, Coda's taken this award, right? He's won every single – he's won the he's won the Critics Awards. He's won the SAG Awards. Uh, Troy Kotzer. Yeah, Troy Kotzer absolutely steals yeah. that movie. Yeah, I mean, I, every he's won every single award for this movie. Um, I personally like Cody Smith McPhee from The Power of the Dog because again, that ending and his final ten minutes of that movie and his manipulation done strictly with his eyes and his face still looms with me this day. Um, but I mean, this is going to Cody and Kotzer. Like he's won every single award thus far, and it's going to be a great sentimental moment and one of that the Oscars could also preach diversity. Uh, something that they've lacked in the past as well with him winning this award. Um, so I would, this is, this may be a stone cold block in terms of all the acting categories. Yeah. And I, I watched Coda recently. I mean, that's one of, that's one of my favorite movies of the cycle is, is Coda. And I do think that like, I, he's going to get it and he deserves to get it. Cause like the acting he has in that movie is, is incredible. And I do love his performance. And I think in terms, I know you said there's some stuff in this category. I don't know how JK Simmons got in it. I like J.K. Simmons. He was very fun in being with the Ricardos. But again, necessarily, he's a name. He's a former Oscar winner for supporting actor, I believe, as well uh, with Whiplash. So he's used to success in this category. But I, I think it's, I think it, it's, it's not. No one else is a word except for Concert. He's going to take this home. He could prepare his speech now. Just memorize it because you're going to win. Yeah, he casually can. And Best Supporting Actress. I know you haven't seen West Side Story yet, but all the buzz is based on Ariana DeBose. And I've seen, I think, everyone in this category. She's probably my top pick of the ones I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen her. People really like Kirsten Dunst and The Power of the Dog. But if I'm being honest with you, she was my least favorite part of the four major parts in that movie. Um, So she would not win the award for me. Have you seen The Lost Daughter, Mike? Have you gotten to that on your watch list yet? I did. So yeah, The Lost Daughter. I love Jesse Buckley in The Lost Daughter. Uh, for me, it's incredibly hard to outact Olivia Coleman in a movie, um, but Jesse Buckley does show. Uh, her portrayal as the main character in her younger self and all the mistakes that she makes along the way, it, they stick with you like leeches when you step into a pond you shouldn't, and they're just sucking the life force out of you. And every misstep that she takes, you feel the tweaking of the ankle that she's making for her reputation and her family. So I would give Jesse Buckley this award, though, there's absolutely no shot she's going to win it. Yeah, another one I'm happy Anjanou Ellis got nominated in the category for King Richard. She was an underrated part yeah. of that movie, but she has no shot at winning either. I would agree. She was she was very, very good in King Richard. I agree with you. She stuck out, even though she was only on the screen for maybe, what, 10 minutes, yeah. if that? 
but she was great in those 10 minutes. So yes, I agree with you there. All right. Next up here, I'm going to see what I had on the rundown here. Let's go to, uh, let's go to best support. We'll go to best actor here. I know you have a hot take on this category. Uh, I do. Me and you are going to disagree wholeheartedly on this one. Um, I think we both agree that Will Smith is probably going to win. Yes, I would think that's going to happen. I don't think that should happen at all. I don't think I don't think so at all. For me, he's not in my top five performances this year. Um, is he good in King Richard? Yes, he is. I think he's very good. Is he superb? No, I personally don't think so. Um, for me, this is Benedict Cumberbatch in The Power of the Dog because I've never there's no more despicable character um in any movie this year than his character in power of the dog but yet by the end you're feeling empathy for him when you think there's no way that's possible at all and to have that transformation of a character within a story is a testament not only to the screenplay not only to the director jane champion for her direction of benedict cumberbatch but also to his acting so i would give this to benedict cumberbatch though i would agree with you that there's no way i think will smith is winning this award 80 to 20 i'd be shocked if he didn't win this award also for the star power because you get will smith on stage and you're going to get eyes you're going to get eyeballs on the tv yeah plus i'm sure i mean there's also a little bit of uh will smith is kind of due for one because he had a lot of times he's good performances he did not get the call for i do think he was great in this movie i cumberbatch was very very good in the power of the dog so i think it literally is a two horse race in them which I think I said, I think this category is stacked this year. I think there's, I think there's four really good performers in there. I think Bardem is like by far number five. Yeah. How did Bardem get in? I, again, he was good, but he, he wasn't great. Like it, it was like JK Simmons. Like he's a name that you recognize, but like for me, a couple snubs in this category that I would have put in instead of Bardem, I would have put in Nicholas Cage for pig. I don't know if you saw that one, but he was really, really good. Yeah, um, and it would have put in Bradley Cooper for Nightmare Alley, which not not as many people were as high on as I was. But I thought Bradley Cooper was very good in that movie. And the final scene of that movie sticks with you almost as powerfully as Power of the Dog. Um, so those are two that I would have put in the place of Javier Bardem. Yeah, I think I, I would put I would lean Cooper if it was my pick. Yeah. Right, that last scene in Nightmare Alley, you don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But that, I mean, it sticks with you. It's just a major, just the downfall that he takes. Whew. Yeah, not a, it was not a good movie for his character there. I also want to throw out here in terms of, like, Garfield being in the category is great. And I do think that, like, in a lot of other years, I think he would win. But I do think that the top two heavyweights here got really just pushing that number three slot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Garfield was by far the best part of Tick, Tick, Boom. He went all out. He did his own singing. It was great. He was very theatrical. And he was he was phenomenal. And he, by far the best part of that movie. He's also, he campaigned, I think, pretty hard. Now, granted, he was on the press a lot for Spider-Man. So his face has just been plastered everywhere, which I think has helped his case in getting some notoriety for his performance in Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah, like, I enjoy his performance the most of the five on there, but I know, I think... In terms of the best, I still think it's Will Smith. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Now, the best actress category. I've seen three of these. I have not seen yet. I have not seen uh, – let me see. Look at the list here. Which one did I not get to yet? I did not get to The Eyes of Tammy Faye and get to Jessica, Jessica Chastain or Parallel Mothers Penelope Cruz. I've seen the other three, though. I have not seen Parallel Mothers able to rent anywhere, and <laughs> Penelope Cruz is the only one in this category that I haven't seen yet. I've seen the other four. Um. So – I can't talk about Penelope Cruz. I didn't see her, but all these performances I have seen, the four of them are all good. And there's a ton of star power in this category, right? There's every single name in here is recognizable. Um, 
And I think with this Bex Astros category, it comes down to two people in my mind. You have Nicole Kitman for being the Ricardos and you have Kristen Stewart for Spencer. We've seen, we've both seen those movies, right? Yes. We both know what happens with these actors in those movies. Would you agree with me that Nicole Kitman, what she does in being the Ricardos has so much to do with the dialogue. She's doing so much with her voice and her, in, and her dialect and her speaking tone and how fast she talks. She's working with the screenplay they're like a zipper. They're just going up the seam the exact same way. There's no missteps. It's fluid and it's smooth with the dialogue being the key kind of fulcrum. For Kristen Stewart and Spencer, there is a lot happening without any dialogue. It's the angst of her of her acting. It's the horror story that's being told about her being held captive in a place she doesn't want to be. So it's two very different type of acting performances between, in my opinion, the two best in this category. So I don't know what your take is on this category, Mike. Yeah, I, 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 I lean towards Nicole Kidman. I just think the like the the challenge that she faces here. I mean, obviously they're playing two very iconic women, so like the expectations are very high. But like, especially for someone who has been in the public eye for like over the past like 60, 70 years, as much as Lucille Ball is from I, for I Love Lucy, she did a damn good job like portraying her in this movie. Yeah, I agree with you. I would put Nicole Kidman up just a smidge ahead of Kristen Stewart. Though, I, again, I would not be upset if Stuart won because her performance is phenomenal as Princess Diana. So I, I agree with you. Kitman is just a smidge a bit higher. And also, we know Hollywood loves to vote Hollywood sometimes. And being the Ricardos is a story about the backstage of Hollywood. So that also may help push things in her direction. Yeah, and now we can go to Best Director here. I, I do think you're right. I do think that this is Jane Campion's category to lose right now, but it should be Danny Villeneuve. Yeah, it should be Denny Villeneuve. That's my first bullet point under this category. But James Champion is going to win this award. Um, and I, I think that's really all about it. I think this one is pretty sewn up. Yeah. And last but not least here, best picture. Again, I've the only one I've not seen here is Black is uh, Licorice Pizza. I've seen the rest of them. So so how about you give your opinion first? You've seen more than I have. You go, you go down the list and kind of give maybe just give, give your little spiel. Because you know more about it than I do at this point. Okay. Belfast is fine. I thought it was a good movie. I think it's, again, I think it's more of an original screenplay winner. I will say that one here. I think I'll give you the top three I have on my board. I think the top three, okay. I think, is I think it's Coda, Dune, and Power of a Dog, the top three. Okay. All right. So, I again, I haven't seen Coda yet. I have it downloaded on my laptop, so it will be watched this week. That is a, is a Stanko guarantee. Um. My top three th thus far are probably Dune is my number one. Power of the Dog is my number two. And my number three is fluctuating. Um, I mean, probably, honestly, might be Drive My Car. Because that might be recency bias, though, because I just saw it. Yeah, that was the last one I saw, too. So, but I, I, the fact that that movie got made and that screenplay got adapted into a three hour, just character study of breaking down everyone's flaws and stuff like that is remarkable. Um, but for me, there's, there's the top two, there's D there's Dune, there's power of the dog. And then there's a second tier for me, Dune and power of the dog are right now atop. They're atop the pedestal. Um, again, I got to see Coda because people are making a big push for it. And it's won all the ensemble awards heading into the Oscars, which is really important. It's won some screenplay awards as well for original screenplay. Um, so Apple TV Plus is trying to make a splash. And if they do it before Netflix uh, against Netflix, that would be that would be something pretty special. Yeah, I would like honestly, if I had to pick, I would pick Coda 
as my number one movie. Really? Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. I mean, it's downloaded on my laptop. It's ready to go. I renewed my Apple TV Plus subscription so I could watch it. So I have Apple TV Plus for a whole nother year to make sure I saw it. Yeah, and I, I loved that movie, and the acting is incredible. And like I said, honestly, we talked about Kotzer earlier and how he's going to win the best actor role. And I think it does, it's, it's a movie that I think also does a good job of, like, context of writing like an important spotlight to like the deaf community which is not really get much attention in hollywood be, because it's very hard to portray on screen but like the amount of care they give to these characters the more, amount of like investment they give in each of them and say like not even just the tetra coda who is basically the daughter the only one who could actually uh speak and hear like normally they, mm-hmm. they, have, they have to give all the other all the main deaf characters like the ability to elevate their own story and show that they're not just helpless people who need the daughter to do everything for them i think that whole storyline i think is going to be a very powerful one that's why the push is being made so hard yeah i mean it's a great it's a great uplifting story again i've heard only positive things about it uh there's two i mean there's two movies in best picture that have sign language drive my car also has quite a bit of it especially in the second half of the movie so that's a little bit of an interesting tidbit there and you as a Marvel fan, I'm finally finishing up Eternals this uh, today, probably, or tomorrow morning, the day we're recording here. And there's sign language in that movie, too. But Eternals is not anywhere near any Oscar conversation. So we could. Oh, that. no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I think it was I think it's probably I think I have is like a bottom three Marvel movie I've seen. It's it's not good. I have 20 minutes left. The movie has dragged and I still have 20 minutes left as of this recording. And it has been a slog. Yeah, so real quick, like what movies are left on your best picture queue you haven't gotten to yet? So I'm watching Don't Look Up and West Side Story with my girlfriend. Okay. Uh, I'm watching Coda most likely Wednesday on the train because Tuesday I have to write my bachelor recap because, you know, priorities. Um, Licorice Pizza, like you said, is not available to rent anywhere. Um, and so that's that. So I think I need to see four. Yeah, I think you get did you get the Belfast or not yet? No, I've not gotten above yet, so I need to get the five. Oh well, now you, now the pressure's on me. So yeah, oopsie. Yeah, I say, say Coda is your next. Coda should be your next one. Coda is my next one. It's downloaded. Like I make a commitment when I download it, I'm watching it. It's not keeping up storage on my laptop or my phone, so it's going to happen. Mike, I promise you. I will text you my thoughts when I finally see it. Yeah, and I think that one will warrant a blog post too, in my opinion. I I've been cranking them out, so it will, will most likely be a long one. So again, my only gripe with the best picture category in terms of the films that were nominated and the films I've seen is the tragedy Macbeth should be in there from the movies that I have seen thus far. It might not be by the end of it, but from what I've seen thus far, it should be. Yeah, I know you. I don't know if you've seen it or, or not yet, but like, what did you think about the popular outcry? People like upset that No Way Home, Spider No Way Home, did not get consideration for the best picture. I, from what I've heard, it's a great entertainment movie. But even the movie critics at Barstool, who are comic book movie uh, aficionados and enthusiasts, agreed that it should be nowhere near the Oscar conversation in terms of best picture. Yeah. So I have Marvel fans in the office telling me that, no, it doesn't deserve anything. People upset about it just want to see a Marvel movie in the conversation rather than like it actually deserving it. So. Like for me, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse could have been could have been nominated for Best Picture because that movie was incredible and genuinely fantastic. So I have yet to see I have yet to see No Way Home though. Yeah, I think if you were talking about any of the Marvel movies, I think the one I think that would have could have been in the mix if they had ten. I think Black Panther probably would have been in there if they had ten. Yeah, I mean, people love Black Panther. I'm not a huge fan, though I, I'm in the minority with it. For me, Thor Ragnarok would have been in there because that's truly original and I love that. Um, I'll tell you what though. 
we 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 weren't supposed to talk about this, but we both saw the Batman. I have, I have not gotten to it yet. I've been busy with work. Oh, all right. Well, you've seen all these movies. I finally got one up on you. But the Batman is dope. It's really, really good. It is not just a comic book movie. It is it is, it is art. Matt Reeves, whew, very, very good. So I'll be curious to see when that gets dragged up come the 2023 Oscars because it it might. Yeah, I was going to say, that from what I'm hearing, I feel like this one could be a best picture sleeper next year. Like if you get in the category. Yeah, I mean, still, it's very, very early for me. It's it's the technical categories that Batman flourishes because Greg Frazier, who did cinematography for Dune and a couple Mandalorian episodes and Zero Dark Thirty, also did Batman. And guess what? You could tell he's really good in everything that he does. And now he's going to be doing that horror series based off Arkham for HBO Max. He's going to be working on that as well. So I am all aboard the Greg Frazier train and Batman in terms of the technical standpoint. Really, really good. Yeah, the issue for me with the Batman is just that like. Right now, like, March is my busy month for the tournament, so, like, I have a lot of work to do. It's hard to, it's considering the length of the movie, it's, like, hard for me to black, to bank out three and a half hours counting previews to go see that on a given day. I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Um, yeah, I mean, with my girlfriend and I, it was deciding between going to see that or West Side Story, and we decided to go see the Batman and treat ourselves. Um, though, I mean, compared to all, I've seen all the live-action Batmans, I'm sure you have as well, or, or maj- the majority of them. The Batman, this recent one, currently is number two in my rankings in terms of Batman movies. Yeah, I, believe Mar- I talked to Martino Pooch on the podcast. I think he said it was basically Dark Knight is better. This is better than Dark Knight Rises. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. All right, there you have it, John Stanko. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be following us on the social media streets and keep up with some of your stuff. Um, I'm cranking out blogs on Stanko's stance. If you want movies, some random sports, some random, I just put up a blog about 10 things that should be illegal in all movie theaters. I had a lot of fun ranting and raving on that one. Uh, so follow me at Stanko stance and follow me on Twitter or any social media at jstanko 99. Absolutely. John, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right. That will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Troy Moriel for hopping on here to talk all about the Mars Madness stuff. Plus, John Stanko spending about four minutes to be talking about the Oscars. It's coming up on Sunday. If you want to get stuff like this podcast, including my look at my complete bracket for Mars Madness, which is in channels. If you want to see where the picks went wrong, check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go check out the Sky Guys podcast over on its own podcast feed. All the podcast mentioned at the top of the show. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all usual suspects. We're in March Madness mode over there, too. We're doing a Star Wars character bracket, the first round of it came out this week we're trying to project which characters will get their own disney plus show next the first half is done the second half is coming out this thursday you want to catch up on all that make sure you subscribe to the sky guys podcast for all that fun stuff so follow me on twitter m phillips 331 that's m p h i that's going to do it for this week's podcast coming up next week we're going to do some more march man as we wrap up the 316 elite eight get ready for the final four and more love you have a better week than the seton hall fans This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.